All right, it's the bathroom. I'll be right back. All right. If I'm calling this ends up in the episode, I will kill you. He's going to do it. Same, same way my, my first attempt at the intro ended up in the episode last week. Please don't actually do this to him. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to the Popcorn for Dinner podcast. I haven't come to hijack Fami and Ibibi's House of Dragon episodes, don't worry. That discussion will be following very soon. But before that, we're here to talk about a movie that we just watched. And joining me today to maybe recommend this movie that we put what this weekend is Ibuka. What's up guys? Long, it's been long a while. time. Yeah, it's been it's been a long, long time. Not not too long to be fair. I enjoyed I enjoyed having free time to myself wow what, what, what does that mean what, what, what to it say? means that i was watching i was watching things without thinking of how to tell you guys whether it's good or bad just my mindless must consumption be nice. must be nice but yeah no i i i dragged you in for these five this five minute discussion because we both watched um see how they run yes this weekend and yeah for anyone who doesn't know see how they run is a murder mystery which is out now it's starring sam rockwell sasha ronan adrian brody ruth wilson Reese Shearsmith, Harris Dickinson, David Oyelowod, um, some other guys that you might have seen if you watch a British TV, Sean Clifford from Fleabag is also there. Obviously, it's a murder mystery, so we're going to stay away from any kind of spoilers. Just want to let you guys know if we should go watch it or not. So, because you like this movie, would you recommend this movie to people? Yes, I like the movie, but um, I'm, I like a, a lot of things I watch, so I don't know. I like the movie. I like murder mysteries, and it was a, it was a decent murder mystery. Although, if you, if you have experience in the murder mystery genre you will you will kind of it's it's weird it's if it kind of felt like a parody of the genre so if you have experience in it you see some things that they're trying to point out or draw attention to we we can say this that it's it's a bit meta yeah. in a way because a it's bit? set against the <laughs> okay it's a lot meta it's kind of how and I don't think these movies are similar, but I guess it's impossible to talk about this without talking about Knives Out. But kind of how Knives Out is set around a very fam- the death of a very famous uh, murder mystery novel writer. This is set against the backdrop of I think the f- the hundredth performance of Agatha Christie's The Mousetrap. Um, this is 1952. That that play has been going on since then, so it's going on 70 plus years in in the West End right now. Yeah, so it's set against the backdrop of that play and. If you've seen the trailer, this is obvious. This is from the trailer, but then someone dies at the backstage of this play. So it's kind of it's a lot. Like you said, it's a lot meta. It involves for there's some things there that involve like writers and directors and inside jokes yeah. about Hollywood. That obviously someone like me, I really really enjoyed and stuff like that. There's some points where I was the only one laughing in the in the theater. And I think this, yeah, I think this movie is fun. I think it's funny. Um, there were like two or three points where I genuinely like laughed out loud. Like okay, can I, I cackle? Can I say that? This movie mm-hmm. is supposed to be a murder mystery. But I promise yeah. you, like, I would recommend this as a comedy hundred times. Like, you will have you will laugh at this film if you're if you're a comedy person. Like the the interactions between Detective Stalker and um, Sam Rockwell's character are just amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, the you again, you know, I don't. I think it's you that pointed it out. Actually, you know that I love the the weary, tired. Yes, the guy, character. Yes, who is so strong. 
Yeah, James, our favorite character in Modern Family, like Nick, like Nick Miller, our favorite character, New Girl. I like that character, so obviously I liked Sam Rockwell's character. As a fan of Sasha Ronan, it was very like nice to see her in... At the first, I don't think I've ever seen her really what do you, comedy. What did you just say? As a fan of Sasha Ronan. Is that how her name is pronounced? Yeah, Sasha. <laughs> you know, guys, by the way, me and Bikey had this thing recently where apparently someone's name who's Ralph, R-A-L-P. <laughs> it's not Ralph. <laughs> okay, Bikey, tell them. It's Ray Fiennes. Ray F- okay, why is his name Ray Fiennes when it's called Ralph? I don't know. That's how, that's how everybody just pronounces it. I don't like. I, I don't know what to say to anyway, you. Anyway, small detail. To be fair, I've always, I've always pronounced it as like Ray Fiennes as one word. Okay. Like I think it's probably. I think pronouncing the word itself is like Rafe. Okay. But I just say Ray. Is that Fiennes. an I or well, an L? It's an L. Okay. Weird. Even weirder. <laughs> but yeah. But well, I mean, I hope. I think that's how to pronounce Sasha. her name, like Sasha. Okay. Well, not Sasha. But like, like, like Sersha, like Sersha Ronan. Okay. Anyway. Um, but yeah, I've never really seen her. I don't think I've seen her do comedy. Like, closest closest in comedy is like Wes Anderson films. But like, um, I really like her comedy chops here. It's just nice to see her being in like a, loose is not the right term, but like a freer movie. A movie that doesn't have like Oscar aspirations and things like that. I don't think I've really seen that, seen that from her. So that was nice. Um, obviously, we can't talk about the mystery part of it because that's the entire film and everything. There's some fun parts, or rather, it's generally a fun movie. There's some funny parts, and I I would recommend it. Especially if you like murder mysteries, I recommend it. And like, I like the meta bit of it. Um, I don't think. Let me just put it this way: I don't think the writer, I don't think like the writer and director are going to get like two hundred million from Netflix for a see how they run universe the way um, Ryan Johnson did for for Nice. I don't think it reaches those levels, but I, I do think it's. I think it's like like you said, it's a good. Modern mystery recommendation. If you want to go watch a movie in the cinema weekend, I think it's fun. I think you enjoy it. And and it's a fun movie. Like it's not like you know cookie cutter, run of the mill type film. You know it does some things and shows some things. And you're like, okay, you know it's it's memorable. It's not just I went to the movie and I forgot what I just saw. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. and yeah, I mean, I don't think we'll do this again. But we should point out that like over the next few weeks, there are a few movies coming out. That if you're looking for a movie to watch, you can go just go watch. Um, I think Bodies, Bodies, Bodies should be out now. Yes. Uh, obviously, that's horror. That's not really my bag, but you know what? I'm really because I'm really, really in in this industry bag right now. I might just go watch it just for Mihala. I might just go watch Bodies, but just go for Mihala. Bodies, 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 Bodies isn't a real horror though. It's like you know, Friday night with your friends, you just watch it and you. Okay. Yeah. It's not a real horror, but when real horror comes, you can't go. Go watch Crimes of the Future, then. Go watch Crimes of the Future. When, when real has, horror who comes, doesn't have to watch Crimes of the Future. <laughs> I do because because I was on the phone with you when you said that you're not going to watch it because you cannot handle it. Yeah. Uh, if you have a if you have a like strong stomach, go watch Crimes of the Future. I'm sure. Oh yeah, that's I'm also sure that's, that's out in the UK as well. I'm sure there's some good things. Yeah, if you're one who who likes body horror let me just put it. I don't I've watched the movie I'm not going to watch the movie I I think I'm going to get like halfway through the trailer cuz it was just it was too much for me but if you're one who likes those kind of movies I'm sure it will be it's there for you if you for example if you love Titan I'm sure you love this as well I don't think anyone ever loved Titan she, She's going to come for you why, if she's listening why, to this why, she's going to come for you Why would you love Titan I mean look ask her directly ask her directly if she's listening to this you have her Instagram. You there's, have there's nothing, you have her Twitter. There's nothing to love. You know she loved Titan, so go ask her directly. There's nothing to love about Titan. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think it's next week. So when you listen to this, I think it's this weekend that um, Ticket to Paradise comes out. That's the 
George Clooney, Julia Roberts, rom-com. I really hope that's a good movie because like if you've listened to this podcast, you know very few things I like more than just seeing movie stars be movie stars in movies and just like have fun. So I would love to, I want to see George Clooney and Julia Roberts in a movie again together. So hopefully that's good. And then I think towards the end of the year, the end of the month, The Woman King comes out as starring Viola Davis, John Boyega, um, oh, I forgot her name now, Lashana Lynch, that, that almost left me. Yeah, so. Don't worry, darling. What's, what's the news on the world? I don't know if that's this month. Okay. I think, isn't that October? Or maybe this month, like maybe end of the month. I think it's right, end, of, end the of the month. month. Yeah. Yeah. Don't Worry yeah. Darling is so interesting because I've seen the trailer and mm-hmm. I've heard discussion about it and I've seen TikTok mm-hmm. sounds and shit, but I still don't well, know. About what... it or about, about the drama around the movie? Yes, about the drama around it. But I still don't know what the hell is going to happen in that film. Like, I love the trailer. I think the trailer is incredible. Because yes. it was not the movie I thought it was going to be. Okay. So I, I like the trailer a lot. I, I was interested in watching it. But with all the drama that's coming out, like it, it's gone from like, I was talking to, I think it was Priscilla I was talking to this about, actually. And it's gone from, oh, it's like Olivia Wilde, she's her husband with Harry Styles, kind of drama, to now being like, oh, was she enabling Shia LaBeouf and insulting Florence Pugh behind her back. So it's gone from just random like yeah. tea drama to actually being a morally bankrupt drama. And I'm like, can we still support this movie? Like, what's, what's going on? Like, so I don't know. I, I don't did, think I the drama around this movie is helping it. Yeah, exactly. I didn't sign up for like, I, I could watch the movie and turn off the Harry Styles drama because yeah. I don't care about that. But then you're like, oh wait, was she begging Child above to come back even after all these allegations and telling I'm basically downplaying Florence Pugh's concerns as a bit, eh, I don't know. I Obviously, I watched the movie and tried to judge them to merit and hopefully, hopefully it's good. I liked her, her directorial debut, Book Smart. I really like that. So, but yeah, those are some movies that like, if you guys want to go watch a movie this weekend, go check those out. We, I think we both recommend See I How think, They Run. I think if Bullet Train is still in the cinema, people should go watch Bullet Train. Well, um, I heard of See How They Run. Yeah, man. Bullet Train, Bullet Train, is actually a really, really good time. Like if you, you know, hates that movie. Why would Obira hate the film? If you watch Bullet Train and you don't like it, I, I, I was about to say I owe you money. So Obira is the first person I owe money. If you <laughs> watch Bullet Train and you don't enjoy yourself, then yeah. Before we go, how House of the Dragon season one? Yeah. How locked in are you? The extremely locked in. Like literally, like <laughs> thirty minutes ago, I was like, you know, I might stay up tonight, <laughs> like until three a.m. just to watch. House of the Dragon. Matt Smith. What is he cooking, man? Matt, what is he cooking? You know, I don't really love Matt Smith's accent as day one. It's weird, but I just, I just. I mean, you know, I don't care about. You know, I don't care about. Yeah, accents. I know you don't care, but I don't really, really, really love. Like him. the only accent I even caught me, like I was like, "Oh, what's going on?" Is Sonoya Mizuno's accent? Oh, yeah. That's his his babe. I was like, "Wait, what? What? What's going on here?" <laughs> but apart from that, like I was like, apart from that, like yeah, Matt Smith is like basically we bought Matt Smith stocks at a good time and, yeah. I, and I'm enjoying that. He's, he's, um, he's really good at it. Like from every description of Damon, he's playing the character perfectly from every description yeah. that. And uh, Millie Alcock is also, is also very good. Yeah. You know, you know how I know Millie Alcock is good is that I like, you know, when you take someone for granted and <laughs> like, I, I've just been watching the show in episode one, two, and mm-hmm. I think it was episode three. And then I was like, Oh shit. She's done this multiple times throughout the season. Like she's been acting, acting throughout the season. <laughs> but I also think the High Tower girl is good as well. So yeah, she's good. No, I, look, I think like I think what Paddy's doing is very, yes. very good. 
Like, I should not care about Viserys. Yeah. Because everything about him is terrible. Like, I should not even care about his, like, his, his troubles. man, you know. And, you know, I, I need to... He just keeps making the wrong... I mean, if you listen to Fami talk about it, he just keeps making the wrong, wrong decisions and the worst decisions I, ever. I need to go on the podcast with Fami and everybody, but I feel intimidated because they know so much. But, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But Paddy Considine is really, really showing, like, that... Yeah, he's... Turmoil that is going. So he's doing, he's doing a great job. I'm really sad to see Miliako go... I think she. I think last episode might be episode five. I think is the last episode. Maybe it's episode four. I don't know. I was gonna say will, will we see her in flashbacks, and then I remembered like there's a brilliant bit about flashbacks in the <laughs> in Sea of the Run. Yes. Yeah. Um, let's not step on Fami and bit too much. So guys, go check out Sea of the Run if you're looking for a movie to watch in the cinema. And yeah, listen to Fami and Ibe come up next. Talk about House of the Dragon episode four. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We're back in Westeros. Um, we have sorted out our contract with Dispute with Bankoy and we should be here for all the remaining episodes of the season. I'm Afam and I'm here with Iwube and we shall be talking about season one, episode four of House of the Dragon. Finally, we've seen a lot of violence. We've seen a lot of, you know, politicking, but, you know, this is the first episode where sex has been like a very integral part of the storyline in Westeros, which happened a lot in Game of Thrones, but this House of the Dragon wasn't really getting that same vibe but uh it's back finally uh you know so westeros is back to how it usually is and you know the episode kicked off with rhaenyra obviously actually before we get into the episode how did you feel about the episode uh i think it was a lot (laughs) (laughs) Um, i think that you know the the show kind of wants us to earn our viewer paychecks a little bit you know it's Mm -hmm. it's been a lot of hype and enjoyment these first three episodes and now the show's like no we we want you to think about stuff too so your rent is due welcome back <laughs> and yeah i think on some level they, they did a, f- a fine job of that um because there's a lot that we kind of have to pay attention to um there's a lot that we need to question um there's a lot that the characters do that comes into question um because they are acting questionably so yeah, I, I thought that the episode was good overall. I think it sets up a lot of stuff that's coming because there was a lot of subtle, small events in there alongside the big ones. So um, I'm looking forward to seeing how they explore all those things. Also, you know, I think it was another triumph in production value. I mean, we've been seeing a lot of triumphs in set design and costuming and the realistic nature of of dragons that are not there at all but uh yeah. now i think more of that triumph comes in, in in terms of production value just in the area of you know turning a small town into flea bottom i think it was cool for them to approach renera's point of view not just in terms of the adventure itself but even in the exposure to sex you know i remember it was so portray- so well portrayed that um when I looked at her face as I was watching, I was thinking, has she seen stuff like this before? And, you know, mm-hmm. that direction and the acting on Millie Alcock's part is, um, they're just very well done because I think they want the audience to be asking themselves that question. Like, you know, is Renera actually ready for this? Hmm, I'm not sure. Okay, let's see where this goes. So, yeah. you know, we do see where it goes and things definitely do get a bit uncomfortable. So we kind of experienced that confusion um, with, with Rhaenyra 
this is going to be an interesting one to talk about. There's a lot of smaller stuff. I think Kristen Cole is, af- is afraid for his life, but we'll get to him. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to him. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get to Kristen eventually. But uh, I mean, I feel like Melly has put in like the performance of the season, in my view. I we obviously know that at some point she's going to transition into the older character, which will be played by Emma Darcy. But I'm really enjoying. Millie. I I really am. I'm she's really one of my favorite Millie. things about the show. Yeah, like, obviously, I want the plot to kick up and, like, obviously, we have the time skip so we can see, get the story progress. But at the same time, every episode, I, like, I know eventually the time skip is going to come this season. But I'm yeah. slightly relieved when I don't see, when I see Millie, you know, pop up on the screen because I'm like, oh, I'm going to get some of these amazing um, performances. Exactly. I have not been disappointed. Uh, but, yeah, the episode kicks up with um, Rhaenyra Targaryen rejecting suitors left, right, and center. And uh, so for that scene, I believe she was in the Stormlands, which is so basically where House Baratheon um, rule. And if you, House Baratheon is uh, the house that was ruling at the start of season one of Game of Thrones. So Robert Baratheon, Robert Baratheon is a descendant of the house where um, Rhaenyra was basically petitioning lords who were fighting for her hand in marriage. And my favorite part of that whole sequence was the Brackwood versus Bracken fight. Um, so the Blackwood and the Brackens are wow. like in the source material. They're like a right. Uh, there are two houses that have had like a legendary beef for like generations. They just, like just, just don't like years. each other, bro. Like they do not. You can like see it even other. in the face of this kid. He's like, bro, have you been yeah. around long enough to embody this beef? <laughs> <laughs> it's just like it, it just made me think of like inherited hatred because you're just like you know you're born and then you're taught these people are your enemy and because of that they are your enemies and like. All of a sudden, you know, he just calls you a coward and you just pull out your sword. And like, I mean, that kid basically said, pull up. <laughs> no, I, I think I, I have to just, I have to stand by the notion that the Bracken guy is dumb. Because mm-hmm. um, normally, small boys would, especially in a scenario like this where they're surrounded by a lot of bigger men, they would either keep quiet or run away or maybe even cry. But that boy's first reaction was to pull out his sword. From that moment, from that, from that moment, Bracken should have known, okay, there's something different about this kid. Maybe, maybe it's time to stop. But no, he pulls out his own sword and gets wrecked. You know that guy's dead, right? Like, yeah, he's, he's 100% dead. Like, that's it. Like, literally, like, I mean, the fact that you just, oh, what a way to That die. was the that heir to the house no that just died. <laughs> like... <laughs> For no reason. For, he could just have minded his business. He was he was out there being a class clown trying to troll for likes. Quite literally. <laughs> like he's here he was here doing clout stab. <laughs> Who clout don't have? But yeah, um Rhaenyra is obviously um touring the lands looking for a, a, a suitable spouse. And I do like the fact that, you know, Viserys initially gave her that, you know, leeway. To okay, go find your spouse. I know the whole theme of the season so far is Viserys making bad decisions, but honestly, I don't think Viserys made that many bad decisions this um this episode. I mean, there are some things that I thought were questionable, but overall, I think he's too think tired Viserys to is... make his normal. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's too tired to to, to meet his bad decision quota. <laughs> Basically, he's not. Man, I I'm, I can still sense a few more bad decisions this season. Oh, hundred percent. This episode. For this episode, I think Viserys made some played some he played he played the game well. He was smart enough to see that he could get Rhaenyra to marry um Corys Valarion's son, Leonor. He he basically gets Rhaenyra on his side politically by marrying Corys Valarion's son and then gets rid of Otto Hightower in one move. So it's like literally a, it's a very good it's, play. It's from the most efficient thing he's ever done. Um you yep. know, he tells Otto, You're the man who taught me how to be king. And that is true, you know, but like 
I agree with you that bringing Rhaenyra in this way um, brings her to his side politically. And, you know, it's, yep. it's, it's a shame that this is the way that he, he's ended up sort of bringing her into the fold, like showing her how to participate in the politics. Like, it's a shame mm-hmm. that it had to happen in this manner where, like, she's actually kind of a pawn. Well, at the very least, you know, instead of being a pawn, maybe she's a queen on the chessboard this time if she has mental yeah. and emotional involvement. I think the yeah. Valarians are a good choice. We can kind of see where it's going to go and how that marriage is going to be, especially now that yeah. Rhaenyra has been, quote-unquote, sexually liberated. But you know, <laughs> we'll, we'll see how that goes. It just reminds me of... Um, it reminds me of the, of the way the characters all approach vulnerability. And I think Rhaenyra is getting to a point where her vulnerability can be used as a weapon in some ways, right? She's, yeah. I think she's learned that from Alicent because Alicent yeah. has been doing that for a while after learning it from her father. Like I said last week that the high towers are very good at weaponizing their own tragedy. Yeah. And I think Rhaenyra does a little bit of that. Where she swears on her mother's grave. Oh, her mother's memory, yeah. She swears on her mother's grave that she didn't do anything. And technically she didn't, but I was like, sis, <laughs> sis. It's a technicality. Y- you're, you're not innocent here, but I mean, <laughs> you know, let your mother rest. <laughs> <laughs> but l- let's see. Let's see how it goes. Uh, yeah, but you know, you had mentioned that, you know, Rhaenyra is kind of like a pawn in the chessboard. And to be fair, so is Alicent. Yeah. But um, there was a quote from the source material. I don't remember if it, it was in the books of the show. And I think it might have been Varys that said this, but he was basically saying that everyone starts off as a pawn. And then you see how the game is played and ultimately you become like the chess master. So, yeah. Yeah, obviously it sucks to see Rhaenyra being like used as a bargaining tool, but like, you know, if she ends up marrying Leonor and have, you know, her own kids, I'm sure she's going to obviously want to do the same thing of, you know, marriages for political decisions. I think that it's like Cersei said, when you play the Game of Thrones, you either win or you die. There's no middle ground. So you cannot afford not to make alliances. Exactly. You know, there's so many cases where we've seen over the original um, eight seasons of Game of Thrones where there were people who could have been allies, but ended up becoming enemies because of um, decisions that, like Rob Stark comes to mind. Rob Stark should have married the Frey woman and he really like should there have there and then and gotten over gotten it over with and gone on to fight the war yeah I believe he would have won the full war of the five king if he didn't do that he definitely would have because he would have had control of, of the twins yeah, and he would have been able to to cross like that would have been a very powerful ally and Rob doing what he did I know it's TV and everybody likes the whole follow your heart your heart narrative that hindsight is 2020 as they say i feel like most people who watch the game of thrones are not like you know what he probably should have married that girl think about all the things that wouldn't have gone wrong if he had actually done what he promised because it's one thing if he didn't promise like this was he rob stark is kind of the definition of young and foolish in a lot of ways he's kind of like a smarter more he's like a smarter more politically apt Brandon Stark, and by Brandon Stark, I mean Ned Stark's older brother, who yeah. died by going to King's Landing to rush the Mad King, not knowing that he wasn't <laughs> mad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Starks don't do well when they go south. They really don't. <laughs> there should always be a Stark in Winterfell. There is more tension because Collins Valerian is trying to marry 
his um daughter to the sea lord of bravos bravos is where um aria went to do her training in um the game of thrones yes it is um, so it's the first time we've seen we, well, we haven't seen bravos yet but it's the first time we've been teased about going back to bravos and i love bravos bravos is kind of like venice in my view and it's one of the more liberal free cities because it was founded by former um, escaped slaves who build this whole ass beautiful society based off banking and freedom and like shipping routes including the titan uh, of bravos you know including the titan that, of bravos which is an homage to the was it the roads the colossal of roads yeah, so that it, giant statue. yeah it is i mean if, for anybody who doesn't know what we mean it's the that statue that you see when you're sailing into the city we um we saw it in game of thrones when Arya was arriving in bravos and yeah like you said it's very impressive that the place was put together by former slaves because the biggest bank in the world is literally in that place. So yep. the fact that slaves came and like formed a bank, I'm like, how? I want to know that story. You know, yeah. <laughs> like, did they just did they actually kill all the masters and like, okay, let's take this money and make our city yeah. a powerful political well, force? It's pretty interesting. So uh, this is obviously lore stuff, but uh, well, I think what happens is that they were escaped slaves and they escaped when like Valeria was still at its peak. So they, they escaped did, yeah. from dragon from dragon. Um, um, warlords, basically. I know Game of Thrones painted Valerius in a good light, but they were horrible people. And they escaped from them and developed this whole society. And they basically had this thing called the Unmasking of Bravos, which is where after they had built this society to a point where they were strong enough, maybe after a few generations, they were like, okay, let's tell the whole world that we're actually a city now. And then they reached out to Valeria like, hey, we we all we this colony was formed by escaped slaves, so you don't leave us alone. We're going to pay you back for the loss of labor with some interest and then they basically pay back valeria for the the you know the slaves that escaped to build out um bravos yeah uh so bravos has always been one of the more free cities because because it was a mishmash of people there are lots of different gods some have names some have don't no names some have watched but some have been forgotten and it's just a beautiful tapestry of a of a land and it's like venice so you can go around on little boats and you know eat cheese and oysters and stuff yeah watch out for the faceless men though yeah, oh yeah, they will they will mess you up. <laughs> yep. They will mess you up and take your face. <laughs> but yeah, um, so with now with one of the something that comes out of this episode is that um obviously Renira, as you said, is gonna be married Valerian. But I did find it interesting how Otto Hightower found out, you know, um we have a new virus in the in the we have a new master of whispers uh, yeah. in, in the in the fray. And I'm I have thoughts. I'm not a, don't don't fact check me on this, but I, I think she might have been the first master of like the first person who was like a virus, you know, the first virus. I, mm-hmm. There might have been someone before her, but if there was an escape in my mind, maybe by next episode, I'll I'll, I'll read the books again yep. and, and, and confirm that. But yeah, she walks so virus could run. <laughs> Essentially, yeah. I mean, I remember looking at that kid and normally yeah, Game of Thrones would just show us that the person was there. They wouldn't actually linger. But I think this show is yeah. kind of trying to remind us what people in such a position are capable of. So yeah. they didn't just show us the kid. They actually lingered and they were like, yeah, we want you to see that this kid is there and that's going to be a problem for some for some people yep. who should be aware yep. of certain problems. And yep. yeah, he the fact that, I mean, we'll get to the reason that he sees her, like, you know, the whole demon being there. But I brought it yeah. up earlier in terms of, you know, the, the white worm and the fact that that is the place that Mazaria runs. And there are a lot of people mm-hmm. who go there, people of all walks of life, and they come to be very vulnerable. And like um, like Damon says, this is a place where people come to take what they want. So Mizaria kind of knows the proclivities of a lot of powerful people, a lot of people who have secrets. And mm-hmm. 
when he goes there, like, or to be, to be very honest with you, my first thought was they're going to kill this boy so that he doesn't tell anybody else. <laughs> but thankfully, they didn't do that. Uh, or at least if they did, they off-screened him. But I'm pretty sure the boy is alive because like Otto said, he wants to keep his sources. Um, but his source can't just be that boy, right? Like yeah. that, 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 that can't just be the one spy that is, that is working over time. <laughs> so, <Yeah>. we, <laughs> so we, so we find out, at least I believe that Mizaria is the person who made sure that that boy was watching and then asked him to report things to Otto Hightower or the boy, when we see him get up, he actually goes to Mizaria and she's like, Hmm, interesting. Go tell Otto. Either way, she had been watching them from like when, when they came in the whole time. I mean, she's Damon's paramour. And I don't know how interested she is in him anymore. I don't know, you know, how long she's been back in King's Landing. Because I know this guy went to fight his war and she probably left Dragonstone because he's like, what am I even still doing in this place? Um, I, I like how they give us that visual detail of that boy coming back because, you know, it kind of solidifies for us that connection game of thrones didn't always do things so in front of our eyes so to speak um sometimes they become clear but i do think that once in a while it is it is good to to just make certain things clear so we're not thinking too much about them later on i think it's a good idea for us to know right away that Mizaria may have had or probably does have quite a lot of responsibility for this news getting out and yeah. that we instead of trying to figure out where the pipeline of information is we can focus on the repercussions for everybody involved, mm-hmm. including Mizaria. I mean, we don't know if anybody's going to find out that she was involved. We don't know if Damon knows um, because he was too drunk and asleep to see when that kid came in. But, yeah. you know, we who knows what he's going to find out later. So, yeah. Yeah. But e- even if it wasn't just that one kid, there were so many other people in that room. Exactly. Who obviously have sold that information for... Um, but we'll get to that. Mm-hmm. How, how did you feel about Damon's entrance? You know, flying in on the dragon, landing in the king in, of the uh, narrow sea, reconciling exactly yeah. reconciling with his brother. Yeah, I believe that's the title of the episode. In fact, king of the narrow sea, yep. and you know, I thought it was good. I thought it was kind of triumphant. This is actually Damon's first time in not just throne room but the Red Keep since he was banished from King's Landing in episode one and told mm-hmm. to um, go back to the Vale to his wife, who still hasn't seen him. By the way. <laughs> this bronze bitch. Like, can you actually imagine being married oh. to this dude, bro? She has not seen him in like mm-hmm. four years now. Mm-hmm. That is the ghetto. Like, what? <laughs> I mean, to be fair, maybe I, I think she might even be. She might be lucky out by not having to deal with his nonsense, honestly. Because as we obviously the the episode explores marriage, yeah, and it looks at it from the point the viewpoint of like Alison Hightower and like where she's obviously a dutiful wife, but you can see she's not like she's not exactly you know, having the time of her life these days. Exactly. So I mean, obviously, just because you know, I mean, obviously, Viserys is having a good time because you know she's he's gentle with her, you know, he sleeps with her, blah blah blah. But she doesn't have that same luxury or or, or opinion of their relationship, and it's possible that um, Damon's bronze. I don't know her name. I just know her as his brother. I think her name is Rhea Royce. She's a Royce? Like Wayman Royce? Yes, okay. that same so, family. <laughs> that same family. Okay. So um, Rhea Royce, um, she's, she's not even like the, the, the ruler of the veil. I thought she was an Aaron. No, she's yeah. not. She's a Royce. She's That's not. why he calls she's her bronze. Well. 
Wow, that makes a lot of sense now. But yeah, so maybe Rio Royce would have been like under a lot more um, uncomfortable behavior or should have, her existence would not have been more comfortable if Damon was by his side. But regardless, he's Damon's back in, in King's Landing, at least as of the start of the episode, he gets banished again. Like, how do you like reconcile and then like 10 seconds later just mess everything up again? It's um, so he, Damon comes back and I, I love, I love that scene where Damon, uh, Viserys, um, Alicent and Rhaenyra are all, um, standing outside and talking. And I love seeing Viserys smiling because his brother's home, you know, joking about their childhood, you know, dissing his wife when she's talking about tapestries. But still, you know, that was, a, that, okay, that was the one bad decision Viserys made. Why are you like clowning your wife? Like, there's no point in that. And, uh, but, um, I did, I did like that scene. It kind of just showed to me what could be, you know, if all four of them were at peace. Because if all four of those people were at peace and friends with each other, then, you know, I think this would be a very boring story because it would be a very happy ending and the realm would be awesome and great and everyone would live forever. But obviously that's not going to happen. Um, yep. What did you think about the, the, the vibes in that, uh, the feast for Damon's uh, welcoming? I think that um, it was nice to see some peace in the God's Wood. Yeah. But I think one of the most interesting things of that whole sequence is the flirtation that we can see between Damon and Rhaenyra. It's very slight. And I think the show handled it very well just to show the subtleties of what's to come or what was to come. Um, but th- there's, there's just a lot of kind of chemistry there. And first of all, it shows you how fickle human beings are in our own worlds because... The same people who were coming for um, Jamie and Cersei are rooting for. <laughs> 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 they're, they're, they're actually rooting for these people, and I think and I think it's hilarious that they're rooting for them because mm-hmm. on some level it's like you have no choice but to root for them because a they're not portrayed as the villains of the story, and b this is two hundred years ago when the Targaryens still kind of handled their customs the way they handled their customs. Mm-hmm. Um, but but yeah, like. There's there's just slight chemistry there. There's like a there's there's that flirtation that's Damon is kind of coming at it from a very um thoughtful perspective. You know, I think I think that he's sort of looking at things in the context of, you know, I may want to use this person as a pawn on some level, but I actually do kind of like her. Yeah. Like I think that a lot of the stuff he does in this episode was calculated in a very like dickish way. But I do think he has real affection for Rhaenyra, yeah. which is which kind of makes it very problematic in some new ways. But again, I know every, people are <laughs> probably trying to come for us at this point. For us. If, if we say we'll get to it one more time, but we'll get to it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, we, we will get to it. But I did. Um, so the the start where Damon leaves Rhaenyra notes in High Valerian, I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. Yes, you know, and he gave her an opportunity to get out of the Red Keep. I feel like for the for the royalty, your existence could be kind of boring because you probably aren't really allowed to leave. Uh, you know the the Red Keep that often, but but if you're you know able to sneak out and able to like go see the city because you're ruling these people, but you don't really have any interactions with them. Exactly. And the times you really do is when you're going for all these feasts and hunts, but those are obviously all situation for people to kiss your ass so you know when we first recorded the first episode of this podcast we had um talked about how Rhaenyra is not Daenerys she is Arya and this episode just to me just exemplifies it obviously we never got to see 
Arya living in a castle <coughs> when she was 17, so we don't know what she would have been into. But that impulse to just, you know, get out of the Red Keep and to explore the city, to live with the common folk, that is something that Danny never really exhibited. You know, Danny, when she shows up, will be like, first of her name, Lulu did this, Breaker of the Day. That thing used to annoy me. I'm uh. like, flex on these hoes, but chill at the same time. But you know, every single Rhaenyra time, like, didn't want to do that. Miss Sunday took no breaks. <laughs> saying those Miss Sunday was like, on her job, man. Uh, but yeah, it's I I, I love that opportunity to see Rhaenyra explore Flea Bottom, and you know, obviously going to see the play. I love the plays within plays in Game of Thrones. So obviously, this place is talking about the conflict of well, not the conflict, but the issue of the or the question of the succession and i think this is the first time rhaenyra has seen that maybe the common folk might not just you know back her she doesn't obviously view them as i don't want to say as people but it's just like their opinion doesn't matter which i thought was interesting because as a character who right now is a pawn on the chessboard you know i would have thought that she would have been sympathetic towards you know other people who aren't necessarily in control of all the things around her but she was like no fuck what these dudes want i'm what i'm the successor i'm going to be king and that's all that matters um but that that being aside she is still you know trying to figure things out so i can understand that viewpoint but damon raised a very important point of like these are the people you want to rule so you have to pay attention to what they want to an extent and you can't just dismiss them um as 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 entities and uh damon is a character who's he's also called the prince of flea bottom because he always hangs around flea bottom yep and you know i believe personally that he cares about these people he's not obviously he has ambitions and stuff but he does genuinely care about these people because um he's he's hung around them a lot you know they're i feel like he has more in common with them than the rest of the royalty and the high lords yeah it's interesting to see someone of his station hanging around there so long he 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 looks almost out of place sometimes with his Mm -hmm. platinum hair (laughs) (laughs) he's just speaking of which nice haircut bro yeah yeah, I'm uh, that was a fresh haircut. Yeah, I mean, cl- clearly, clearly, you you know some uh, some very powerful people with uh, with the clippers and, and scissors. <laughs> and, uh, that that is something that uh, that we all value. So nice haircut. Yeah. I mean, I really like the way they've handled his appearance. I mean, everybody's appearance yeah. in, in the show, but um, I have to say that, um, and you know, either forgive me, people, or join me <laughs> in. <laughs> In this, in what I'm about to do, but I'm just, I'm just gonna praise Matt Smith again. <laughs> I'm gonna mm-hmm. praise Matt Smith again because he's really bringing life to this role in a way that yeah. we, we, that's the, the way we, we, we could only have wanted, really. Like, yeah, he is portraying Damon almost exactly as I've always imagined him. Yeah, uh, right. Yeah. And and I think a lot of that credit goes to the the costume, makeup, hair. Um, departments, they're, they're all doing so well. I mean, Damon has different sort of stages of his appearance, right? Um, yeah. Through his through his youth, through um, getting older, um, kind of going through a change in in temperament, all those things, and it's 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 really cool to see how his style kind of develops over time. I mean, it's been it's been a while now since episode one in the world of the show. So it kind of makes sense that people would be looking a little bit different. And I like that attention to detail and continuity. Um, In his case, you know, Damon has his hair looking a bunch of different ways, like over the course of this entire saga. And, you know, him in in this sort of short hair, clean cut face is um, kind of an interesting thing to see because it's very appropriate for court. 
and we see yeah. him looking very regal and prince-like in this episode wearing his wearing his red and black um you know suits so to speak let's just call it a suit um yeah. and yeah i i think that the haircut also kind of represents him showing himself as a changed person um but he's not really changed all that much i think it's kind of it's a bit of a front as we see and in the mm-hmm. end you know he ends up doing all the same things that he's always done perhaps even worse and you know there's this there's this meme of like ben affleck standing at a gate smoking looking 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 very 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 tired of everything and that's basically viserys once he hears that thing on his back he's like yo can i just rest can i just rest just when things are getting just when rainier agreed to get married this motherfucker shows up again honestly like it's uh yeah, speaking of Damon, so obviously we have, we've arrived to the, the one of the, we'll talk about that later situations. Uh-huh. Damon and Rhaenyra. Oh, that was, okay, so uh, I don't know the age of, I, okay, I know Rhaenyra is 17. Maybe she's about I think she's probably 18 this at this point. Yeah, because she, she was 17 a, 17 a year ago. Yeah. And a year ago, exactly. So Rhaenyra is about 18 now. Let me just, for the sake of aging, age purposes, let me just assume that from the books, the difference between Rhaenyra and Damon in the book is about 15, 14 years. Something so, like that, yeah. Something like that. That's Viserys and, and Alison is probably more, actually, it's not probably. It's definitely, definitely more. So just watching both of those scenes of both of those people sharing intimacy was just very, very uncomfortable. And it was, it was just juxtaposition of, with Rhaenyra's side, it was, I mean, you can argue about whether that situation can even be consented if it's, your uncle was 15 years older than you when you're maybe not even 18. But from one side, let's just say it was there was more passion. And the other side, it was just more duty slash he's calling you. I mean, <laughs> Viserys basically said he sent a you up text with the, <laughs> by using the Quite literally. The <laughs> Quite literally. You're like, the, the king has summoned you, your grace. And she was like, it's late. And you're like, yeah. Like literally, but what did she expect us to say? Like, yes, the hour is late. I'm just here to tell. I'm just here to tell you if you're going, go. <laughs> I mean, that's your business. <laughs> Leave me out of it. All I know is I told Dusha. <laughs> yeah. Um. But yeah. Um. Obviously, Damon knew what he was doing because he took off. He, our, he when he took off that beanie, I was like, what, what are you doing? doing? He knew exactly what he was doing. He was playing. Damon is playing the game right now. That's crazy. He was trying to um to force Viserys to not have any option but to marry him to her to him basically yes so that they can even though he's already married yeah talking about oh Aegon had two wives (laughs) watching Viserys um deck him was so funny that was actually wild (laughs) it it, it Uh, always makes me me wonder like would (laughs) would Viserys have been able to do that if Damon wasn't like out of his out of it at that moment no no I'm sorry (laughs) because I I really don't think so but I, it was. Have it was see the legions on his back. Yeah, no like way. it was. It was still <laughs> cool to 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 see that. But yeah. I mean, I mean, like you said, he's really playing the game because he's playing. The as game. soon as that beanie came off, I was like, "Why? Why?" Wow. Like I was like, literally screaming. Literally, I was like, "Why?" <laughs> and, because, oh. and then like n- now you. I mean that that obviously makes it clear because you know we we've talked about the idea of people from the family getting married to s- sort of solidify and support the claims, like unite the claims. This is kind mm-hmm. of like, I can't call it the better version, but let's just say it's a different version 
of what Otto Hightower was suggesting, right? Mm-hmm. Of course, that one would have been more self-serving. However, mm-hmm. in, in, in this case, Damon being the former heir, Rhaenyra being the current heir, this would actually make them a formidable force in terms yeah. of um, ascension to the throne, to sovereignty, because yeah. it would be very difficult to challenge that. Like even people who are Aegon fanboys in this realm would find it very, very difficult to challenge, you know, a fully grown Rhaenyra and yep. Daemon at his peak, yep. both of whom have dragons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I know the Targaryen's dragons. Yeah, I mean, the Targaryens are very good at riding dragons and such. We thank God. But the fact is, babies don't ride dragons. So, yep. So yeah, and I, all the people on the internet are just killing me because like there are people, like there's this one tweet I saw where somebody was like, I support Rhaenyra's rights. But most importantly, I support her wrongs. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, man. Like, I guess this is the time to declare, man. I'm Team Rhaenyra. So whatever she does, man, I'm here for it. I was all I was here for her whole journey of self-discovery this episode. Even though I even the Shea and Demon are making Viserys' yeah, life well, very it, hard. <laughs> well, obviously, you know I'm anti-Viserys. I mean, he, he, he tried a little bit. This Look. I have agendas and and they shall be respected. Okay, everybody has agendas and and yeah, I'm pro Viserys anti sorry oh, pro Rhaenyra anti Viserys. Damon depends, but like obviously, I was lo- I was loving um, Rhaenyra's um trend of exploration this episode. I felt like this was just like I just felt like a coming of age vibe, you know, being uh-huh. able to just be free. Yeah, and I loved that for her. I loved it for her. Um, I loved her, you know, exploring Flea Bottom, you know. I wish she had been a bit smarter in how she conducted herself in the pleasure house. Exactly. Not even in terms but that's of the, she, she wouldn't. She wouldn't have known how to conduct herself. This is her yeah. first ex- like time Experience. being exposed to stuff like this. Yeah. And she thought yeah. that she was in safe hands. I really mm-hmm. like the direction and the You're acting right. because You're right. most of these scenes, um, in pop culture and in media in general, just tend to be explored from the point of view of the man, right? We see young boys going through sexual exploration for the first time on TV a lot. And there's some things that they don't even have to show us because there are things that they know we will assume because we've seen this type of thing a million times. But mm-hmm. this was a very interesting um, flipping of that because essentially we get to see what it might be like for a woman. We get to see moments where she's intrigued, moments where she's excited, Moments where she's a little bit scared, moments where she's concerned, moments where she kind of puts aside that fear and concern in favor of trust for Damon. He's like, well, I'm in good hands. But then he doesn't do anything, right? And the whole time is kind of his abuse. And then in my mind, I'm like, okay, well, they're Targaryens, I suppose. But then, number one, you know, Targaryens are royal. This wouldn't, something like this between them would never have happened at the Pleasure House. They had bedrooms for that, number one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> number two, you were already with her in a secret place. Like, you went through a secret passageway to get here. If this was yeah. really about showing affection for her and, like, kind of exploring this type of thing with her, you may have done this, like, differently. I even thought they were about to ride a dragon and fly somewhere, like, interesting or something like that. They did go somewhere interesting. They just got there on foot. But, mm-hmm. like, he did, he did so much. And, like, if you really... Knowing what his intentions are, like, if you really deep his every action through the course of the episode, you start to go from like, oh, okay, to wow. <laughs> yeah. Like, because he, he, honestly, he honestly gets to a point where 
where he's fully in control of the situation. Like she's she's give, she had some agency, but she gave essentially all of that agency to him. And yeah. you know, he did this in a place where like it's it's very it's 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 very obvious who they are and what they're doing and this is kind of her first experience of this type of thing it's just it was really messy so like when he ends up not doing it i felt like okay this is him going away and kind of realizing this is not the right thing to do and then I, and then he leaves her there which i thought was wild <laughs> when he left her there i was like wait are you just going to actually leave her here like she is half naked in a pleasure house surrounded by people who could make a lot of money by killing her and nobody would ever find out. Like, she's not safe here in any sense of the word. And he makes her walk back to to the Red Keep without her beanie. (laughs) Like, (laughs) she walks all the way back there without any disguise. Like, with everybody who sees her fully knowing who she is, which I guess... I hate to admit it, but that's probably the safer option because anybody who doesn't know who she is could probably do something to her. I mean, like, Howie Strong was about to do something, but he realized who she was. And, you know, it's interesting that he is kind of minding his own business in that regard. He's like, okay, yeah, I see you. I don't know why you're here, but yeah. I see you. Carry yeah, on. I felt that. Yeah. He's a real one. He, I They're mean, like, have your fun. Yeah, like, he, he wants to, I think he wants to see her kind of enjoy herself and... Mm. Damon seems to be that way too. Like he kind of wanted to see her enjoy herself as well. But you know, when you, like I said, deep those actions, you realize that he wasn't stopping because he realized it was the wrong thing to do um, at this very moment. But he was stopping because he saw how much she was enjoying herself because she felt so safe with him and realized that this actually wouldn't be as much of a hit to Viserys and to Rhaenyra's claim as he had initially planned. Like, literally, her enjoyment ruined, like, he, it, it, it sort of ruined his agenda, so to speak. Yeah. And I thought he had ED. That's what it said in the, inside the episode. Yeah, like, he, he, he did, like, he did get, get through this, like, impotence. But we kind of yeah. had to, we, we have to figure out, essentially, was the impotence because he realized what he was doing was wrong and he couldn't go through with it anymore because, like, of all the mixed feelings? Or yeah. was it because he could now see that his agenda was not going to come to fruition because he wanted this to be more of a manipulative type of thing? Like, does he need manipulation to have any kind of sexual arousal? I mean, that's a whole deeper thing. But in this situation, what are, the question is, do, did he require manipulation for his plan to work? Like, did he want a situation where she wasn't, where she was fully, like, naive and not... No, really embracing what was going on or knowing fully what was going on you know Mm. what did what did he need from her and i think that both sides of that are essentially abuse but i think for right now i'm going to stick to the second one where where wherein he stops in order to um save himself the trouble because he realizes Mm. that there's no point doing this anymore if she's enjoying herself In this case, I think there's a there's a lot more going on because like the minds of both these people have become a bit more political. But Rhaenyra, you kind of stop and see her as just a really young person who feels like she's in good hands, but all of a sudden isn't. Like when he left her there, that was when I, that I started to actually shout. I was like, bro, now come on, come on, come yeah. on, come on. Like I mean, he knew what he was doing. So I, yeah. I think that when I don't know if this is like the right way to look at it, but once he had. The, the whole point of his actions, once he took the beanie off, was for people to know that she was there with him. 
once that information, because he knew that that gossip was spread. And once that was done, everything else to me was just like for him was just icing on the cake. Exactly. So it was just it's like, like I've done, yeah, I, I, he, I have, I've done I've the done bare what I needed to do. Yeah. Exactly. I've done what I needed to do. People are going to talk about this, and this is going to this is going to spoil her honor. So now, because of that, Viserys would be forced, or he thinks at least that it will spoil her honor, and Viserys would be forced to marry to marry them. And honestly, I I would not have been surprised if Viserys did that. I I was more surprised that Viserys like made a smart decision by like. Not just like by first of all, okay, that scene at the end where he centered the moon tea, I was like, okay, that's a good decision. Then using this like to to solidify Viserys and betrothal to um to Leonor, that was a good play. Yeah, I mean, it is a good decision. Kicking Damon out is a good play. I mean, it, it it is a good decision, I suppose, like in a practical sense. Though I yeah. I don't I don't know how I feel about the idea of him sending his daughter abortion juice through Melos, <laughs> like sending Mel- yeah, Melos to be the one to deliver it without any real explanation to her as to like why or why she she needs to to do this or yeah man he gave her the option to do it and he didn't force her to do it but, that but, is but here's the fucking Supreme Court in the United States of America so that 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 is, that is a fair point but here's the thing though her doing it like how do I put this. If she 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 sleeps with Kristen afterwards, which is like, um, don't worry, people, we'll get into that next. But she, yeah. <laughs> she she sleeps with Kristen afterwards, right? Yeah. So now there is a chance that I mean, hopefully, Chris, uh, I don't know, Kristen, he may have some experience. Maybe he was like kind of smart about it. But what I mean, whatever that means for him, but it's possible that like she she definitely is not pregnant from Damon, right? But uh-huh. if she is pregnant, it would be from Kristen. So. Yep. This is also kind of a political move because she has sworn on her mother's grave that she didn't do anything, right? Mm-hmm. So if she drinks this stuff, it could either be seen as her taking precautions um, or her not understanding really what this stuff is for and not knowing like she needs to, whether she needs to drink it or not. And that's mm-hmm. because if she does drink it, then the question now comes of like, I thought you said you, you didn't do anything. Why do you need to drink this? So okay, but how would they know she drank it? Because they'll like, send, they send someone to check. I'm pretty sure they would send someone to check because because they would try, try to if see I, if the vial is still well, full. It's, it's still there. Yeah. yeah. Well, if I were her, I would drink it, and throw fill it, it up with water, and then go to in front of Viserys and be like, "How dare you think that I didn't have uh, that uh, that I needed this?" And throw it on the wall and break it, and then I'll storm me away. Yeah. Now, it's my kick. I have. Do you know, I, I actually <laughs> thought about that, and I was like, "Okay, what if?" Because Melos is a creep. So like, what yep. if he goes and then he actually see tries to see if w- the liquid that comes out of the broken glass the same. is is yeah. water? I don't know. Like, I'll, I'll make it show. Maybe it has a color in public. Yeah, like <laughs> I, I don't know. Like, I, I was I was really thinking about this because it it's just it's just another chess move, right? Because if she now mm-hmm. if she drinks it, then she's definitely guilty. If she doesn't drink it, then she proves that she doesn't need to drink it. However, if she's actually pregnant from Kristen, that becomes a huge issue. Yeah, but but something that I, that I think that. You know, the good point that Damon raised about the Targaryen kind of Targaryens kind of being above the rules is that whether or not the rumors are true doesn't make a difference. It doesn't make it. She's still going to marry. Yeah, one hundred Yeah, but the thing is, it's he's talking. He's talking about that from the perspective of a prince, of a man, mm-hmm. right? It mm-hmm. wouldn't make a difference for him, but she has virtue to uphold here. And mm-hmm. for example, I mean, we we've heard a lot about how Jaehaerys's daughters drove him mad, and they were rebellious mm-hmm. and all that. Um, mm-hmm. this was one of the types of things he had to kind of handle. I mean, one of his daughters literally like ran away to a brothel 
and was kind of just living there for a while. So I don't know, there's, there's been a lot of tension in this regard as far as his family is concerned. And yes, the small, the, like people's opinions wouldn't matter because she would still be a good match. But now, like anybody who marries her would feel like they're doing her a favor, which is not ideal. Mm. Well, I mean, there, there are different perspectives here, right? But I guess one perspective that we need to really think about is Kristen's because that man is afraid. And he should, yeah, he's he, he should be afraid. Like, like <laughs> when king's guards <laughs> sleep with people, it's never a good thing. The The best example was um, this guy, Sir Lucamos the Lost. No, there have been a good, lot of good examples. One of my favorite ones is, I think it's Sir Lucamos the Lusty. Mm-hmm. He's, I don't remember who was king when, I think it was while, while Jiharis was king, which is the king before Viserys. He, they turned out that he was married and had three children. They either killed everybody or sent him to the wall. I don't remember which it was. Like, you literally take a vow of chastity that says, like, the the Night's Watch is a little bit different because those guys, their their oath says, I will father no children. So, like, you're, you're not taking up, you're not holding any titles, you're not taking a wife, you're not fathering children. But they still, like, kind of work around that technicality to sleep with people in that brothel near the wall, right? Mm-hmm. But the Kingsguard, they have all of that, plus a specific line that's, that is a vow of chastity. So mm-hmm. as a Kingsguard doing this, you're breaking at least one extra oath. And that becomes mm-hmm. an issue because like, I mean, you see how he's looking over his shoulder the entire time. And I'm yeah, like, bro, he's scared. I mean, he's scared for his life, man. It's interesting because like, obviously Viserys is the big boss here. And I mean, the king's guard job, all seven of them, is you know, to protect the king and his family, his immediate family mostly. I don't think Damon would have any king's guard escort, but any children or wives of the king would. So uh-huh. Kristen is Rhaenyra's sworn protector. He's the guy whose job is to do that. So he's always near her. That's why we see him being the one to like track her movements in episode three. We see them spending time together. We see how they become close over time. And I think it is fair to say that he's probably developed feelings for her over the over the years. Uh-huh. Um, she's definitely changed his life. Like, even if it wasn't like, oh, this girl is cute. This is like, he feels really strong allegiance to her just because she's really upped his station. Like, he's given, she, like she's given a, a really big honor to his house. We know that, he, that he's the son of the steward of Lord Dondarrion. And for anybody who may not have picked that up, that Lord Dondarrion that is Kristen Cole's dad's boss, is the old man at the beginning of the uh, marriage proposal scene. The guy who's talking about how like Rhaenyra's great-grandmother was beautiful. And it's like, bro, you, my great-grandmother was beautiful, but you're here trying to propose to me? How old are you again? You know, it's, it's, that, was actually, it's, that was actually so ludicrous. And that made it really, really funny. Um, but yeah, it's that, that guy, that's Lord Dondarrion that Kristen Cole's family has been working for. And now he has a lot that he owes, he owes her. And I definitely think it's the safe to say that he likes her. He's, you know, quote unquote, carried a torch for her, right? And this, mm. on some level, is another opportunity of a lifetime for him. Like, joining the King's Guard is an opportunity of a lifetime. Doing something like this is as well. Not just because he gets to bed somebody highborn, but because he does probably really have feelings for her and he wants to see her protected. But at the same time, this isn't a fully consensual scenario, right? We see a lot of yeah. kind of, not really consensual stuff going on sexually in this episode. Like, Alicent is doing hers, but she is not really consenting fully because she doesn't really want this to be happening at this moment. And you see that she has no real pleasure from it. Yeah. Rhaenyra can't really consent because 
you know, yes, she's game and, and all that. Like she's fully excited for what's about to happen, but she doesn't really know what she's getting into. And if, if we even, anybody who like feels like she might, for example, still be 17, then that's not even real consent anyway, because that would be statutory rape in, in this, in this scenario. But mm-hmm. saying that she's 18, cause I really do think she's 18 <clears throat> at this time. Like, I feel like, you know, looking at this through her being a child and her being an adult, like, it's kind of like two different versions of the same thing. But if we take the version where she's an adult who is 18, or rather, let's say barely an adult, really, 18-year-olds are barely adults. I'm sorry to any 18-year-olds, but just <laughs> en- enjoy, your, enjoy your youth. But the whole thing, the whole thing honestly, is, is kind of like, yes, she's consenting, but because she doesn't know what she's getting into, you know, she's doesn't, she can't really have consented to all the stuff that was about to happen to her. She definitely didn't consent yeah. to being left there. She didn't consent to this happening really in a pleasure house or her being, like she didn't know where they were going, right? And, yeah. you know, we see that play, like the one that um, that you mentioned, you know, the play where they're, they're mocking um, Rhaenyra and Damon. I think it's interesting that they mock Rhaenyra and Damon there specifically. Um, I mean, Aegon, I guess, is kind of mocked, but... I don't think Egon really cares about any such thing at the moment. <laughs> so it's mocking them. And obviously it reminds us of scenes we've seen like this. I think it's cool for us to see small folk kind of putting together their their own perspective on things. These are the people that she would want to rule, right? These are people that he would want to rule. So I think, you know, understanding how they see things is something that makes um that makes a lot of sense for them. And it reminds me of when Arya was watching the play about her own family in uh in in bravos and and you know she she does have a lot of mixed feelings that we see Renira have very similar feelings i mean but it's not as if she can stop what's going on but i i think it's very cool with the direction how damon is watching Renira the entire time to see how she reacts you know it's, it's part of the manipulation i mean yes of course he's he's interested in what she thinks but i think it's in a sense part of the manipulation because you know he this essentially riles her up and you know looking has her subconsciously looking for some kind of release which he then brings to her in the pleasure house but then he brings it in a way that's very unhealthy so mm-hmm. with Kristen now what what has gone on from his perspective is actually proof that what Rhaenyra is doing is a trauma response yeah now Rhaenyra has gone through something here she doesn't quite know yet what she has gone through she, like, she, she doesn't quite know yet what she's gone through but she's still very aroused and she kind of wants to subconsciously take back her power in this situation she doesn't know that that's what she's doing but she's trying to take back that power because she feels very like left behind she kind of wants to scratch that itch but at the same time she 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 doesn't want to she does she she doesn't want to kind of confront those feelings of having been left behind by Damon yet so she's like okay Kristen is like the next best thing. He's like the, the only person who is available. So she selfishly puts his life in danger because obviously if anybody finds out about this, he's dead. His family is dead. He's Everybody's dead. Done. Right? He's done. So she puts his life in danger just for something like this. And he's, he's saying no. But and, and I know a lot of people are watching like, oh, you could have said no harder and stuff like that. And probably he could have. But A, as we've just gone through, he has some feelings for her that have developed over time. And also... It is his job to not say no to her, right? He is there to do exactly what she wants and make sure she feels safe and protected. I mean, especially now that he's feeling bad about having failed at his job. Because imagine standing outside someone's door and saying goodnight, and then you find them like a few hours later coming back through that same door. Like, 
I'm, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised, right, if somebody comes for Kristen in the next episode and be like, where were you when she was walking around Flea Bottom? Did, did you see when and she left? All of a sudden, he's in trouble. So he's afraid on multiple levels right now. He's afraid because of that. He's afraid because, you know, sleeping with her is a very big move that is very risky for him. He's afraid of what he will do to her. He's afraid of the idea of her getting pregnant. Like, everything about this is a risk for him. And she puts that aside in favor of her own pleasure, which is the same thing that Damon has actually done to her in a lot of ways. So it's almost as if she's transferring that trauma. And it will be interesting to see how Kristen responds to that, what their relationship looks like going forward, all that stuff. I mean, when he comes in the next morning, she's smiling at him and all that stuff because, you know, she did definitely enjoy that and and such, but she hasn't come to terms with the gravity of what that is. He has, and you can see it in his face. So he's just like, you know, sure, I guess, but just so you know, the queen wants to see you. I think that that was very well portrayed, the kind of different responses to all this stuff. I mean, Alicent is used to it by this point. Viserys is Viserys. Damon has been, you know, using people as objects for his pleasure for many, many years. And, you know, Rhaenyra kind of being like him in this way without realizing it um, could be very telling for where her character will go. Because, I mean, she does feel a little, she, she feels significantly powerful after the whole thing with Kristen. Um, after the rumors and stuff have been addressed to an extent, she then has that conversation with Viserys. And she uses this newfound power and authority in her voice, in her own understanding, to get rid of Otto Hightower. And, you know, that's something that nobody has been able to do. (laughs) So, yeah, yeah, I mean, what do you you think of all that? Part of me has always expected them to have a thing. Obviously, having read the source material, it was like... It, it, it wasn't expressed because again it's, it's from an unreliable uh, unreliable narrator so it wasn't said but like kind of reading between the lines i always knew that there was something there, there. was definitely something and i never knew what it was yeah. but obviously watching this um episode made me feel like okay this is the start of a bigger story regarding the two i i think on, on some level both of them might have had some some sort of feelings for each other but Obviously, this was a very rollercoaster of a night for Rhaenyra and I guess obviously by extension now Kristen because, you know, they did hook up. I mean, obviously in the free world, they can do whatever they want. But man, Kristen, made t- Kristen said some vows and um, in the world of Westeros, they could, you know, behead him or set him to the wall, you know, based off that action. And um, yeah, if I was Kristen, I'll be scared, honestly. And I hope he doesn't make any decisions out of fear in this position, in this um in this uh situation that he's found himself in but i mean one thing i did like about the whole whatever the episode kind of regarding you know talking about like the sex that was had is that um it kind of uh, um alison and rainier kind of became a bit closer together didn't they um they'd obviously had to be for a few episodes or a few years but um yeah they they seem to be talking and alison stood up for an which ended up costing her dad his job in a weird way yeah so I just, um, I hope that everybody's able to handle conflicts in a rational way where they talk about their problems, but I doubt that it's going to happen because yeah, even with Renira, if not, it'll be a boring show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah even with Renira, she's drinking her plan B. Um, <laughs> man, shout out to Renira, man. Yeah. I'm a Renira stan, man. I'm, I'm regardless of what happens. I'm team Renira too, you know, but at least it's, I think it was a lot easier to be team Renira than team Kendall. Cause that guy, man, <laughs> <laughs> Kenny boy, but, uh, but yeah, Kenny I, boy. I, I look forward to seeing how things go. I'm pretty sure Same. there's going to be a wedding in the next episode. Um, yeah. I feel like we'll probably be saying bye to Millie Alcock. 
um after yeah, episode five so, maybe after episode yeah. six so yeah. um i'm definitely going to miss miss that i think i think really a highlight of rewatching this show would just be watching how well she has portrayed Rhaenyra. Yeah. It's, it's it's actually been been pretty amazing she's done a good job she's done a very good job but emma darcy's coming and they're gonna fuck shit up as well i'm excited i i don't know how it's gonna be i don't know what to expect but i and i haven't even seen that much of emma darcy's work but um i have no doubt i saw those trailers and i got chills because i was like this is high picture Rhaenyra. so um yeah i'm very excited to see that uh we are well over an hour mark and as always bankoli with shouts yeah but before um, he shouts i actually have one more question i have one more right. question so you know the the boy we talked about right the boy who yeah. did the spying yeah there's a part of me that wonders if it wasn't just Misaria who orchestrated the whole thing, but Damon, mm-hmm. because he knew exactly where they would be and he knew who would be in charge and they may have even talked about it. Like, what if Damon, like, knew that this specific, that this was going to be found out in this way? Like, he wasn't just like, oh, let's get seen. He was like, let's get seen by the whisperers who are there. I don't think so, because I think that he knew that they would have gotten seen. And I think he might, I don't even know if he knows Messiah is the new house of Master of Whispers because what, during that conversation they had, um, he was like, she was like, oh, I figured out that selling flesh isn't the only, isn't the way to get ahead. So that's exactly kind of her. She's moved up. She's moved up in the world. She's moved up in the world. Exactly. But I, I think he knew that the word will spread as to knowing the exact mechanics of that. I don't think he was, he, he, he had that plan because if that was the case, he could have done it in a different way, in a more like, quiet way and just make sure that the people who he knows will spread the information will spread the information so it's like i think that even if that boy wasn't there even if mazara didn't know there were so many people in that in that um pleasure house so word would have spread regardless mm-hmm. but yeah it's, it's uh it's incest time officially um <laughs> as you can tell look at the say like literally look at i mean i'm not even surprised okay rhaenyra's parents are first cousins and her grandparents are siblings and her great-grandparents were siblings as well. And her great-great-grandparents, oh my God, were, we're siblings. siblings. So <laughs> it's like, <laughs> when I saw those legion of Viserys' back, I was like, yeah, man. Look, if your family tree is a circle, you fucked up. <laughs> you fucked up. <laughs> you fucked up. Oh, God. Like, that, so, yeah. that, was, that was interesting. And it's actually also killing me how much people on Twitter are supporting this. <laughs> <laughs> the people are like oh when my god Damon, look, at, look, at, like, no. look at Damon look at Damon like holding Rhaenyra's hand as they go into the pleasure house like that's so hot boyfriend of him really my goodness like I, I'll hold your uncle's hand now. It's, it's actually it's actually so funny but but yeah anyway like you said we uh we have gone we have gone on a bit long now but uh thanks yeah. to everybody who's listened up until this point uh, yeah. we will be back next week for our take on episode 5 and as always, we'll be joined next episode by one and only Daniel Kaluuya. Yeah, like and subscribe so that he comes, please. Yeah. Cue outro music. Then the song was like... Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this outro, outro music gets me so hyped. Oh my God, we're such frauds. <laughs> All right.